Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you that are taking notes, I want to encourage you to grab your upside-down kingdom booklets and turn to page 39. Or if you don't have a booklet and you want to take sermon notes, you can access our Wheaton Bible Church app and just follow some steps there and you will find a way to take sermon notes as well. And also both on the app and in the booklets are discussion questions for your life groups, your small groups. I want to encourage you to use those this evening or throughout the week as you meet in your different life groups. Well, today we come to an extraordinary section in God's Word. We're actually working our way through one of my favorite sections in the New Testament, and this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, we've called this series the Upside-Down Kingdom. Why? Because in it, in the Sermon on the Mount, that is, Jesus invites us all to follow him by developing convictions and habits, and it's not one or the other, it's not just convictions or it's not just habits, it's convictions and habits. He invites all of us to follow him by developing convictions and habits that are totally countercultural, upside down. And as much as any place in the entire Sermon on the Mount, we see this in our passage today, when Jesus talks about how his followers should approach money. As a matter of fact, if I spoke about money as much as Jesus did, I wouldn't have a church. Jesus just talked about it all the time. And yet we often bristle, oh, there goes the pastor talking about money again. Jesus talked about it constantly and what he said about it was totally upside down and it becomes a pill that's very hard to swallow so we want to come to this delightful wonderful challenging passage it's in the middle of jesus sermon on the mount and i'm going to begin in matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 and i want to invite you to stand with me as i read god's word Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you simply cannot serve both God and money. You may be seated. Now here, our Lord uses three metaphors. Treasures first, the human eye second, and then the master-slave relationship third. 
And in each, he contrasts the good with evil. Does that three different times. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to go back and forth between these three metaphors. And I want to talk, first of all, about the pursuit of money. Second, the power of money. And then third, how we can prevail against king money. So let's begin with the pursuit. The pursuit is found in verses 19, 20, and 21. And Jesus says something remarkable. He says all of us are treasure hunters. All of us, in ways we often don't realize, are are usually often hunting for treasure. The things we value the things we assign worth to. You treasure something when you long for it, when you become convinced that you must have it. So you develop convictions and you build habits to attain what you treasure. But the problem with treasures is that we usually treasure things as we start this journey that are fundamentally good. Now, we treasure, there are people that, a lot of people that treasure things that are not good, that are unhealthy, say alcohol or uh, cocaine. Uh, But most of us treasure things that are inherently good, like good grades, going to a good school, getting a good job, living in a good house, having a, a, a good income, a good sex life, and on and on. But what happens over time is we turn those good things into ultimate things, and we are convinced we can't live without them. So we think, and this is so unconscious for most of us, uh, we think if, I, if only I have this, or I can attain this, or when I have this, or when I attain this, and whatever we fill those blanks in with happen to be our treasures. We see this right here at the beginning. And researchers today, and I, I, I'm thinking of um, Charles Duhigg's book, the incredible book, wonderful book. It's a secular book, The Power of Habit. Researchers today tell us uh, or say that what we call our treasures are really our cravings. And it's our cravings, what we crave, that form our habits. And almost 50% of our life is made up of our habits. So Jesus here is talking, when he talks about treasures, he's talking about cravings, he's talking about longings, but he's also talking about your daily habits. And your habits make up 50% of your life. And right at the beginning, verse 19 and 20, Jesus is asking you the fundamental question, what is it that you crave? What is it that's driving your life? What is it that you treasure? Is it earthly things or is it heavenly things? Of all the things Jesus could talk about 
when he talks about treasures and values and priorities, it should get your attention. That our Lord talks about king money. I mean, could it be that this false king is the most seductive and deceptive of them all? Could it be that money and possessions, more than anything else, challenges the mastery of Jesus over our lives? Here, if you will, Jesus drops a bomb in the middle of our comfortable, self-satisfied lives and challenges us and warns us, be careful what you treasure. Things are not equal. Even. So let's go on. Uh, that's a little about this pursuit. That's how Jesus begins. Now let me move from the pursuit of money to the power of money. And Jesus uh, tells us here, and there's a lot of powers relative to money, but Jesus here mentions two. And the first power he mentions is it blinds us. Money exercises its power over our lives because it blinds us. And the second is it reveals what controls us. That it blinds us is the point of the second metaphor, the human eye, in verses 22 and 23. Now, we've got to root this out, so bear with me for a few minutes. Jesus says at the very beginning of verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So, if you are in a room that is full of light, but your eye is bad, your eye is unhealthy, then the room to you will be dark. And as Jesus says, your whole body will be full of darkness. I experienced this of sorts uh, some years ago when I had my first retinal detachment. We were down in Florida. We were barefoot water skiing. Actually, we were learning new tricks. We were with a, a teacher in Florida, and I was going really, really fast, uh, doing some tricks while I'm barefooting without skis, which is only what insane people do. And I had a really bad wipe on what we call a face plant. And I got up out of the water, got into the boat, and I couldn't see out of my right eye. Actually, I could see just a sliver at the very top, but I couldn't see out of my right eye. So I said to Jim Getz, who was with me, and at the time, Jim was chairman of the elder board here. I said, Jim, this is your fault. I can't see. I'm not going to be able to preach again. Now, I said that in love. <laughs> and Jim responded in love. Rob, your wife's a doc. You figure it out. Now, the detachment and the fact that it took place while we were skiing is true. But the question we've got to ask of the text is what do verses 22 and 23 have to do with money? 
I mean, here in 22 and 23, Jesus is talking about our eyes. He's talking about light and darkness. But he doesn't even mention money explicitly. And the answer is these two verses have everything in the world to do with money. Because Jesus is talking about money immediately before, in the verses immediately before, and in verse 24, immediately afterwards. And what is Jesus' point? Jesus' point is a heart that treasures money and possessions is not just as dark as a life that cannot see, but Jesus is saying it's vastly darker. So in, in verse 23, Jesus says, if the light within you, and, and by that he means the issues of your heart, what's going on in your heart, uh, what you, again, what you crave, what you think you must have to be satisfied and happy and, and fulfilled in life. If that light in you is darkness, how much greater is your spiritual darkness than anyone's physical darkness? The power of money is it blinds you. I mean, you know, for example, when you're angry, you know when you're dishonest. You know when you're lusting. You know when uh, you've committed adultery. Oh, you're not my wife. But you often don't know it when you're greedy. You're, you're unaware of it. And what is greed? Greed is inordinately desiring and depending on money or things. So on this point, I find it fascinating that if you go to Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, let's put this up, here's what Jesus says. Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, notice those two first two words, watch out. Jesus never says, watch out about adultery. Jesus says, watch out when it comes to greed. Because money blinds you to its power over your life. It darkens your heart. It makes you selfish. It makes you stingy. It makes you materialistic. And you often don't even know it. So that's why we have... This conversation about the eye, your spiritual vision, wedged in, in the middle of this passage on money. Now, let me illustrate this in a couple of different ways. Let's see if these work. Now, there is nothing wrong with hard work, with making money. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with having money or enjoying money. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about when you treasure it. But for example, if you choose a career path solely based on how much money you can make, or you continue to choose one job after another solely based on how much money you can make, and you're never asking yourself uh, the hard questions, uh, questions like, well, how can I best contribute to culture? How can I best use the gifts and abilities God has given me? How can I best align myself 
uh, with a company that is making a significant contribution to culture, if you're never asking yourself any of those hard questions, then what Jesus is saying is you are living in the darkness and you don't even know it. Or let's talk about lifestyle choices, your purchases, how you spend your money, where your money goes. If your focus is always on more and better, as in clothes and cars and trips and restaurants and keeping up with your friends. If your focus is always on more and better and you're never asking yourself uh, the hard questions of how can I spend less so that I can give more? Uh, am I spending too much? What our Lord is saying is your materialism has darkened your heart and you don't see clearly. So the first power Jesus assigns to money is it blinds us. Watch out! Man, I love you guys and I want you to take this seriously. And don't get mad at me and don't blame the church for talking about money because this is Jesus. And that, and that power is in verses 22 and 23. Now I want to go on to the second power Jesus assigns to money here. And that is that it reveals what controls you. Now this is found in verse 21 and in verse 24. So look at verse 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. In other words, your money and what you do with your money is a map to your soul. You follow the trail of your money and it reveals what you treasure. For example, if your source of significance is money, you will spend money. You'll spend a lot of money on appearance and different things like that. And where you are, what you do, the different places you go. Because spending money affirms your significance. It gains the approval you're seeking. But on the other hand, if instead of the source of significance, um, if your source of security is money, then you won't spend it. If it's significance, you do. If it's security, you won't. You'll, you'll save it. You'll hoard it. And either way, money is still your treasure. Money is still your, your master. And you still aren't generous. It just gets manifested in different ways. Now, Jesus says the same thing that he has just said in verse 21, in verse 24. Only in verse 24, Jesus says it more strongly. No one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you want to know your real master, look at your debit card, your credit card statements. If you want to know what you rest in, what you tether your worth to, then follow your spending and your saving habits. And ask yourself the question, where's my spending, where's my saving flowing effortlessly? Because it's those areas where we spend or we save effortlessly that reveal what we treasure. No, I'm not going to do this. Uh, but I'm going to spend a lot on this. Now let me just say in light of verse 24 also, this needs to be pointed out. If you're an employee, you can have multiple employers. You can work part-time here, you can work part-time there, you can have two, three, maybe four part-time jobs. But if you are a slave, you can only have one master. And Jesus is saying money enslaves us. And so he says at the end of verse 24, man, you can't serve both. It's one or the other. You, you can't be on the fence. And you know, as I'm preparing this, as I'm going through this, I, you know, I, I'm thinking one of the things Jesus is calling me to is self-examination. To really think this area through. So let me go on to the third area. This all raises the question, well, how do we prevail against king money? And by that, I mean, how can we overcome its deceptive downward pull on our lives? And now I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to verses 19 and 20. And here Jesus offers us two steps, and I'll expand especially on the second. And the first is found in verse 19, where Jesus says, locate your earthly treasures. And by locate, I mean identify. I mean, you think about what are my earthly treasures? What are the things that I treasure? What are the cravings of my heart? And you name them. And this is a spiritual discipline. But it's relatively easy to do because you're just asking yourself, what do I long for? Uh, what are those things that I think that I've got to have? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? What does my calendar say? Uh, uh, what do my statements say? Uh, are you longing for a performance, a, a, a position, a possessions? Uh, is it relative to your kids and uh, their behavior, like Steve was talking about just a couple of minutes ago, your, your physical fitness, uh, it could be a million different things. But Jesus is giving us a tip. He is saying the way you identify your earthly treasures is that they are always temporary. 
And that's precisely the point of his warning here. You can't take them with you. So he talks about moths and vermin and thieves. And to illustrate this, if you lived in the first century and you were an average citizen, you would possess an inner garment and an outer garment, period. And so if the moss got to it, the loss was significant. If rats and mice got into your meager food store, storage, you could go hungry. If thieves would break in and steal, you'd be in trouble. You see, every, every earthly possession, Jesus is telling us in verse 19, is temporary, and you are a fool if you make it your treasure. Wow. Now that's the first step. The second step is found in verse 20. So we move here from locating, identifying, to relocating. We relocate, Jesus is calling us in verse 20, to relocate our treasures to heaven. So instead of treasuring temporary things, we treasure eternal things. We treasure Jesus. We treasure his kingdom. We treasure his call and his gifts on our lives that we bring to the marketplace, to our families, uh, to our neighborhoods, to our communities. And we live in light of, of that understanding that Jesus has called each and every one of us to lift up Christ and to seek the flourishing, the, the, uh, to the caring of people around us. We treasure people. Those are heavenly things. Now as I was studying and preparing, I stumbled on a, a wonderful illustration that, that kind of gets at this uh, from somebody else, and it's an illustration from the Lord of the Rings, the books and the movies. And one of the main subjects, one of the main storylines in the Lord of the Rings is the ring. And, and one of the things the ring is often called in the Lord of the Rings is my precious. Now look at these two verses, 19 and 20. Jesus is saying at the center of everyone's soul is something they call my precious. Some things they call my precious. Something we feel we must have to validate our existence or to empower us or to satisfy us so we can live happy lives. And whatever that is, that is your treasure. It's your master. And so Jesus says, be really careful here. Uh, locate and then relocate. And live in light of eternity. Uh, so the question is, well, how do we do that? How, how do I relocate? How do I uh, make Jesus my treasure? And I want you to understand in verse 20, Jesus is saying, look to me. 
Now, his life hasn't been played out, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. But when Jesus is talking about treasures, he is saying, I am the ultimate treasure. So the way we relocate our treasures is by seeing Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews 12, believing in Jesus and continually basking in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Pastor Tim Keller says, start this way. Think about what Jesus did with his heavenly treasures, his status, his significance, his security in heaven. What did he do? He laid it all aside. Paul says in Philippians 2, he counted it as nothing. And he became a man who was born in an animal trough who lived a life of chronic homelessness, who was rejected and despised, who suffered, was tortured. And was nailed to a cross to bear the penalty of our sins, uh, to bear the, the, the penalty of the terrible things you and I do because we crave the wrong treasures. Now let me take this a step further. A person only dies for what they value, what they consider important. Like honor or freedom or your country or to protect your family or to protect children or, or, or to protect someone or, or, or something. People will voluntarily die for that, but they will only die if they assign value and significance uh, to it. Now, do you see what that means? Jesus Christ said, they are my precious. I will die for them. If I have them, it'll be worth it. So you go back to Isaiah 53 and verse 11, and we are told this incredible thing that Jesus looks back on his suffering and he's satisfied. Satisfied because Jesus deems us worth all the suffering, the torture, the death. That's how precious you are to Jesus. That's how much Jesus loves you. And when you see this, when you believe this, when you bask in this, this melts your heart and it frees you from the idol of king money. And then, and I'll conclude with this, four really good things happen. Four things happen. First, you separate from the crowd. And you continually, you continually seek Jesus. So Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
And he emphasizes it again in verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Paul is saying there's two ultimate realities that govern your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The first is that you have died with Christ to your sins. The second is that you have been raised in the resurrection of Christ to the newness, to the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. And when those, reality, when those ultimate realities govern your existence, where they're right there in the middle of your radar screen, your computer screen, then you're going to separate from the crowd and you're going to seek Jesus over and above everything else. The second thing, when Christ melts your heart uh, with what he has done for you and how much he values you, then you won't envy rich people or people that have more than you. You just simply won't care. Third, you will respect and care for poor people, for fringe people, the immigrant, the under-resourced, the vulnerable, they will matter to you. You won't ignore them. Because look at what Jesus did for me. And then fourth, you will be generous. In verse 22, the word translated healthy, as in if your eyes are healthy, has a double meaning. First, it means clarity, your singleness of purpose, your, your vision, your treasuring Jesus. It's Colossians chapter 3. But the second meaning of healthy is you're generous. You're a generous, not a stingy person. You say, hey, let me get that. Let me pay for that. Healthy people, gospel-centered people are generous people. Now you ask how much? How much should I give to people? How much should I give to the church? Do I give a tithe? Do I give 10%? And I would respond, yes. Because for many of you, that'll be a squeeze. Uh, but for a, a, a number of you, that won't be a squeeze. And you can give so much more. And so hear me in this, friends. The cross of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the standard, not 10%. Jesus treasured us. Jesus sacrificed for us. I treasure Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice for him with my time, with my talents, with my treasures. Now, we cannot possibly live this way on our own. But what I love about this section is that Jesus is saying to the extent that we see Jesus as precious, we treasure him, and we know that he views us as precious, we will you will become radically generous. And the way you handle money will be upside down. I mean upside down. Let's pray. Father, these are strong words. Counterintuitive, countercultural. Give us the grace to hear. Amen. Would you stand with me for our benediction? Now again, next week we begin our two-week missions fest. We are not going to be in here next week. We're all going to be together. 
in the main auditorium for both next Sunday and the following Sunday. Next Sunday, Wheaton College's Ed Stetzer will be the speaker, and the Wheaton College Gospel Choir will lead us in worship. Now, Father, we praise you for the gift, the sacrifice of Jesus. As we go, as we go into culture and live our lives before others, give us the grace to seek you, to set our minds and our hearts on you. And all God's people said, amen.